Clubroom Backstage. Anya Schneider is talking to Stephen Brains, co-founder of He, She, They, London-based, worldwide-shaking electronic record label, fashion label and event series, focusing on diversity and inclusion. When you're wrong, say that you're wrong, learn from it. There's a difference between saying, like, I hate gay people and I want them to die. Like, yeah, you're going to get cancelled for that, and, like, rightly so. Oh, hello, my dear friends. We are back after a short holiday break with our Clubroom Backstage series. And I'm more than happy to welcome one of my favorite guests so far and say hello to the Chief Executive Officer. Oh my God, I like titles so much. Stephen Brains. Under his mind, control and vision, he is co-running the talent management company The Weird and the Wonderful with taking care of artists like Maya Jane Coles, Cats and Dogs, Elliot Adamson and Ejeka, just to name a few. Uh, but more important for me today is his company network, He, She, They, a record label, party brand, fashion label, which is standing out as a place without free justice. For people, for being people, wow. Something um, is more important now than ever. By the way, he is also the most funniest and visionary human being in the business that I've known so far. Hello, Stephen Brains, how are you? Well, that's an amazing introduction. That is that. I'm, I'm going to put that on my tombstone, I think. <laughs> oh, this is nice. Thank you. But I'm really, really happy. Uh, where I catch you right now? You're in London, huh? I am. I'm just in bed. I'm in, I'm in bed with my, with my lovely Tom and Fiddler bedspread. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, that it's not on video. And if, it's if, only, only for me. <laughs> sorry. Everything will be visual. For, like, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm in a very relaxed place with the yeah. with the delightful Anya. And how are you? I am also a big fan of. It's do you know what? It's been it's been a weird twelve months. Um and it's not like I'm not gonna pretend that it's all been like easy doing my job because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of dissonance because a lot of people obviously on social media post Oh, I'm really happy. I'm doing great, whatever. But it's motivation and things like that are really hard. I mean, I'm really lucky with we're talking about he, she, they and stuff that a lot of that brand is about activism and stuff. So it's been it's been the things that motivated me the most in the last twelve months, probably even more than music, are pushing things like Black Lives Matter or Black mm-hmm. Trans Lives Matter or. Um, looking at issues around transphobia and stuff and like actually trying to use our platform in positive ways and mm. doing like we did a big pride stream for Beatport, which was a bit more inclusive and diverse and it had um not normally a lot of pride things can be very white male orientated mm. even though it's it's pride <laughs> so it's like making sure that you have representations from women in the gay scene from trans people in the gay scene from black people in the, the, the in the gay scene and and different things and just making sure not in a like oh tick we've got the girl tick we've got a black person tick we've got which i think is more offensive than not in, not being diverse at all but just making when you're booking talent that you actually think about who you're booking if you've got a list of 40 people look at it first and go is this just white? Is it just male? Is it just, and make sure that you mix it up. 
like there's enough talented DJs. There's no excuse for it just to be all about white male DJs, even if it's gay or straight. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, I genuinely think you're being, people are being lazy. And if people say, oh, but I don't know a talented black female DJ. Well, do you know what? Go and fucking look. Like, you know what I yes. mean? Like, like Absolutely. It, it shouldn't have to be handed to you. Like, we have to do work to find out different talent. I mean, like, like that's a job that I think you've always done in, like, you've always nurtured new talent. But, like, it wasn't like that all came to you. You had to go out and find the hidden gems and mm. and make sure that you're accessible for people to approach you as well. There's a whole mm. bunch of different things rather than, like, you know, it was the thing with the Grammys, like women need to step up. It's like there's lots of women who step up, but someone needs to then go and take them and put them on a lineup. It's like, so it's a, yeah, it's, it's, that's the thing that's been trying to motivate me. It's, it's been difficult and everything else because as a, as a music manager, I earn, which is primarily my biggest income, uh, you earn 20% profit. 20% of what the profits of an artist makes. So if an artist isn't doing gigs or anything, it's pretty much 20% of nothing. So trying to do that and try and maintain staff levels and stuff has just been, it's been really tough. But then it's also, I think it's good in some ways because if you don't love music and you were just in there for the paycheck or the little party in the club toilet, you've yeah. left. So it's kind of like this hardcore bunch of people that actually want to redesign the music industry and make it better and are there because we we are drawn to music even you know it's it's a sometimes i think being in, in music can be a bit of a toxic relationship because sometimes i want to leave but i can't or like it's a bit like Gollum in the ring from lord of the rings yes. I'm, I'm just drawn to this thing um but but yeah i i, I think I've had to really take everything back to parts and seen as well, like what are the things that bring me joy and what, which is things you were doing that you thought were joyous, but you know, when there's no money, the only thing you can do is for joy. I'm going to stop talking and let you ask me questions. <laughs> no, this is wonderful. You're all, okay. Thank you for having you. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No, it's just an hour no, of Stephen Brains just talking. I love this, you. but um, I mean, you, you were talking about it. I can imagine as a manager, which is your first job, and oh. it must be so terrible, frustrating, because there were so many cancellation, rescheduling. There is no perspective at all. Mm -hmm. How you can motivate yourself, you know, to be there? I mean, you keep yourself busy with he, she, they, and yeah. you have ideas and some visions, and you have now the time, which you probably would not have to think about new ideas. Exactly. But how you can motivate yourself, because I spoke to so many people there, and I completely frustrated and, and and going to a really dark time i mean i think because he she there's got the fashion label and it's mm -hmm. got the the record label and the events that we've been putting a lot of focus into just making music and just like um my, my jane calls is someone who i managed so she's putting her album together but in the brief period between the two major lockdowns we went and made like it's essentially a short film that's like Killing Eve meets Kill Bill. It's like this queer, like, it's quite amazing. It's like a female assassin film. And it, it, it's <laughs> for, for the new album, and it, uh, I can't wait for it to come out. So it's just been like trying to do things and, and push on stuff and just trying to make music happen because 
that's always been the most joyous part of, of the music management thing is just getting two artists together and connect them and think like in some small way I helped that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the record label front, it's just like we've been putting newer artists out, which obviously the big artists are the ones that bring you the paycheck, but I think that there's a sense of with the smaller act, I still get that real big vibe off it. Just like, and you get to see someone being really excited by like these little mini milestones that mm-hmm. when you work on a big campaign, it's like mm-hmm. th- those things pay into kind of insignificant because it's like, oh, if you don't get 5 million streams on a record, it's kind of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is someone getting 5,000 streams for the first time, then 10,000, then 50,000, then 100,000. They're like, oh my God, they're like, their parents are so happy, their boyfriends, <laughs> girlfriends, family. It's like, yeah. And it, it, it reminds you of how important these little things are. It kind of. This is not changing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it humbles you again. And it's just mm-hmm. also just like, it is nice just to bring someone through mm-hmm. and just, I mean, as I say, like you did it, especially as from on the label front, but also on the radio front of just giving people their first break. And it's like, you do get a little bit of a, a rush from it, just mm-hmm. like, because normally they give you feedback and it's just like, it's not about trying to be cool or anything like that anymore. It's just this like, oh my God, I can't believe yes. it. This is mad. It's just like, <laughs> Is there such a human connection with it? So I think doing doing that thing with newer bands is the thing that's kind of like vibe me up. And we've listened to an awful lot of music that hasn't come out, but like within it, like, I don't know, maybe demos wise, there's been about a hundred things per release or something we've put out or something like that. So it's also really the thing that no one realizes, like as great as it is to make someone strange, it's really horrible to be like, oh, it's not connecting with me or like, or you get a track from someone you've been chatting to and you really want to like it. You really want to like it and you just don't or, or sometimes as well. And this happens a lot. Like it's not that the song isn't good. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I say to you, like, try try another label. And I'm not just saying that to be like, mm-hmm. I like gentle about how it's not good. It's just like, you know, like like I love Kate Bush. Not everyone likes Kate Bush. It doesn't mean that Kate Bush isn't well, of course, because you're a woman. <laughs> anyone who doesn't like Kate Bush is wrong. But like, but you know what I mean. That there's always going to be types of music that you vibe off, but don't vibe off. But you can see the quality in it, even if if it's not for you. So. That's been that's always been a bit of a tough one in lockdown trying to. Yeah. But then you know I always just wish people good luck and say, feel free to send me something in the future. And occasionally you get someone does a really horrible reply to you like, wow, like, well I can't believe that you couldn't see this and like on you. It's like, wow, okay, cool. Like, oh, why? Okay, why? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Why put that out? And then you get the ones that are really sweet and you're just like. Oh, I'm really sorry. Oh. Thank you for giving me the time to reply because I think even if you don't like it, it's just it's easy enough to just write a sentence, just mm-hmm. like "Thank you very much for sending it." What we weren't quite feeling it, but good luck with everything. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people that don't that, that maybe have sent it to forty labels and not got any reply, and I think it just like it's just 
it's nice. I mean, you can't always do that because sometimes you're like, you know, even in lockdown, I've got 200 emails a day. Wow, this is super. <laughs> well, yeah, or when it was like Mad Maya campaigns, at one mm-hmm. point I was managing Tale of Us, Maya and Magda. Mm-hmm. It's like not all of Tale of Us, but the music side of stuff. And it was just like, there was one day where Sophia, Sophia is my business partner who runs uh, Weird and Wonderful and Ishii there with me. Um, but we were getting like 1,000 emails in our inbox. So sometimes it gets to a point where you just can't feed back to someone because you don't have the space or mental capacity. Mm-hmm. So it's never like, but I listen to everything that I, I, I get sent. But yeah. But um, just a bite of your personal side. I mean, uh, it's, it's nice that you keep yourself busy, but do you get any help from the UK government so far? Or? We, we haven't personally as a business. <laughs> like, It's After t- 12 months now, this is crazy. Yeah. Stuff. The management without income, because everyone always thinking, oh man, it's so easy. You know, I had a perfect life before, but it's, I mean, you have to think about it. You know, 12 months is a hard time. 12 months is a lot. I mean, like people are like, oh, we must have saved some money for a rainy day. It's like mm. a rainy day, yeah. It's a rainy month, uh huh. A rainy mm. quarter, okay. A rainy year is like, It's it's a typhoon. It's like it's just Absolutely. a monsoon season, just like, mm-hmm. and also probably gigs are another realistically six months away, especially before you're earning like money because they're gonna probably take them back in like half capacity. So all the gig mm-hmm. money is maybe to like explain if you're flying somewhere with an artist or whatever, mm-hmm. they're paying for a tour manager and flights and and hotel. Maybe it's including a deal, whatever. That's said based on the person playing a 2,000 capacity club. So they get X amount of money. Now, if it's a 5,000 capacity, sorry, it was a 2,000, but it's 50% capacity now. So it's that 2,000 capacity is a 1,000 capacity venue. That venue has pretty much a lot of the same overheads as before, as does the DJ who's traveling. But obviously, you're selling half the amount of tickets. So therefore, the artist fee has to be lowered. Yeah. So the overhead, like you've probably wiped off half, mm. if not more, well, probably 75% of the profit that you were having before. Yeah. So the 20% is reduced on top of that. And so it's this ecosystem that probably won't be fixed for another year. So like... No. <laughs> Otherwise, even if it's going to be fixed, the business come back to normal. Do you think that some brands will survive this and and i mean even i have even the feeling that the music gonna change because there will be probably not time for a certain kind of music probably because there will be some changing even like a lot of party brands djs we will lost a lot of things i guess but what's your what's your thoughts no i i think you're right i think that there's especially for labels where people do it for the love of money and it's always been on a knife edge anyway Because save for about 10 record labels, probably nearly everyone else is like running at a loss or is mm-hmm. only makes money because there's events that pay for it or that yeah. there's a DJ that can go and like they make money from DJing so therefore they can have their passion project with, with the labels and it can have the nice artwork and it can be the new act. Because most, most people you sign aren't going to go and make their money back. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. For, for most things, so it's like if you don't have those other points where you monetize, 
then it's going to be really difficult. So there will be some people that just like have to get yeah. other jobs, just like absolutely. I mean, everyone's working doing in it already. Or working, yeah. yeah, like I know a lot of DJs that are working in like Corona testing like centers. No, absolutely. Like, we have in Berlin. We have like the whole Bessen Center is completely full with people from the event industry. It was mm-hmm. actually a request from the cultural senator in Berlin. He said, "Okay, you have so many people." jobless now and what can these people do the best they can mm-hmm. managing events big events and the best center to handle thousand people per day and hopefully sometimes more yeah. this can be handled best by the event people which is wonderful so i'm really happy about this it's, it's the same logic working in the uk actually on that yeah. on hospitality and stuff for this yeah, because i think that's difficult i mean like it will get to to a point where it becomes so difficult mm-hmm. for me because yeah. like my rent I'm in a contract for, mm-hmm. for instance. So like I'm having to pay, you know, I, I, I live somewhere nice. <laughs> like <laughs> Yes. And especially in London, I can imagine. Yeah. It's like you have to pay for it. Yeah. It's like crazy. everywhere else. So probably I lose on average, yeah. you know, just under 2000 euros a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine. Just, just food and bills and house. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and, and I know that people are worse off than me, but it's just and like... And be happy because you can't even go out. <laughs> Think about yeah. this. <laughs> like, like I, I grew up in, like, a council house. So I, I wasn't a rich kid. I grew up in state-owned housing, like, all this mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, <laughs> I don't have a, a safety net. I can't go to my parents and be like, can yeah. I live with you? Because there isn't a room in their house and they can't afford me. So yeah. also there's that thing of, like you have to go out and make money because there's no one to rely on. And Sophia, the same is like, yeah, like, like there's a, there's, I think that a lot of people have this idea that like you'd be really rich or you'd be a trust fund kid. But like, mm-hmm. say for instance, as a manager, if an artist earns 500,000 pounds of profit, right? Or euros mm-hmm. of profit, which sounds massive. Yeah. As, as an artist manager, you take 20% of that profit. So that's mm-hmm. 100,000. Sounds great still. But I've got a business partner. So that halves into 50,000. Then we've got an assistant each. So that's 20,000 for them or whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's actually more, but like whatever. So basically the the, art, the the manager from that making the artist 500,000 of profit. So they probably had to make revenue of 700,000 gross for that at least. Mm-hmm. You're you're walking away with about thirty grand in your pocket, mm-hmm. so it's a it's been an interesting kind of thing where I think that people look at to a lot of people that they'd have more money necessarily than they mm-hmm. they would do, and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with social media about everyone needs to look like they're doing super well and everyone's yeah. happy. And it's like I think that can be hard because I think people look around and go, well, why am I not happy? Mm-hmm. Should, should why have I not got that thing? And it's like they forget that they they social media is an illusion essentially. Absolutely, so. always. But anyway, yeah, he she there because yeah. No, I, I, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about you, why where you come from, and how you built your career. Because what I read so far, we were talking about your parents and your home. I think you had a good uh, childhood, especially musical wise. I was reading that your father was a big Eurythmics fan. Your mum played Kraftwerk for you. You had a sister who played rave track. Yeah, uh, tapes, tapes. M- musically, great. <laughs> great. And then there was this summer. I don't know how old you've been, but I want to know. 
you were going to Ibiza and dancing uh, your ass off at Manumission, a party who influenced every one of us. And um, tell me about it. Was the an initial thing that you were thinking, okay, I want to work in this electronic music no. scene or was the music, what was it? What built you to this, what you are now? I was on a boys rugby holiday when I was like... <laughs> rugby holiday? Yeah, you. Six, yeah, I was a rugby boy when I was like 16 or something. And I was, because mm -hmm. I loved, like I used to do judo, wrestle, rugby, all these physical kind of sports when I think I was probably trying to not realize that I was gay. <laughs> So I was like <laughs> the ultra alpha male guy. So I was, we went to the island and, um, yeah, it was, we went to manumission because it was like, it was just the thing that everyone had talked about, all my, mm -hmm. like, older friends and stuff because I loved dance music and I'd been sneaking out to go to clubs when I was, like, 14 or 15 because I was, I was a bi big built boy that I could, with a fake ID, could get into clubs and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, of course, 16 years, you're not allowed to go to, into clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, we went to Manumission, and I was I was watching this guy called Fernando um, dance, yeah. and, and he had a massive, uh, had a, he has a massive willy, massive penis, <laughs> and was hollering out a fruit with his dick. And no. we, I was just like, Jesus Christ, it was a cantaloupe, it was a big fruit. And then... Um, I was just giggling with my one of my friends from the group, just being like, "Oh my god, like what?" Like because it was it was quite an interesting sight, and uh, and and before this, I'd never, apart from once I'd been to France, up mm -hmm. until the age of sixteen, I'd never been way outside of my little industrial mm -hmm. town in, in the northeast. So this was all very like, and then Manu Mission, bam, and then Manu Mission. <laughs> so Claire from Manu Mission tapped me on the shoulder and was like, don't be, don't be a dickhead. Don't laugh at like, people. I was like, I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing with just because it's, it's a crazy sight. And she's like, well, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't get up on and dance on there. So I literally took off my top and my trousers and got up on the podium and danced. And she was, she went like, do you know what? Fair enough. Like you went and did it. And then we just stayed out for, for, for longer in the season me and, me and one of my buddies and then we'd just go and just dance for them it wasn't like we were paid or anything because we couldn't show how old we were or anything so like <laughs> like it shows you how naive I was that like Manumission mm -hmm. were really lovely to us and like mm -hmm. we went to the Manumission Motel and we met like there was like people like Elle McPherson there and Kate Monster. like it was great like our little tiny wow. mind and they looked after us because I think they thought we were probably 18 and we were just mm -hmm. like, we were just so open to every experience of like, oh my God, like, like, but yeah, we were, we were so naive that we bought them to say thank you for the, the all the kindness they showed us, like a big bottle of like Smirnoff vodka. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> why are you giving a, like, like, ex, a, like a not very like looks brand or anything, but just like they own a bar. And you've just bought them a bottle of vodka. Like, it was such a 16-year-old person's, like, present to get them. But, like, they were just, do you know what? Just Claire and still Mike and Dawn, um, I, I chat to myself, like, yeah, we're just, just really just nice, welcoming people. And it, it, it was a lot of he, she, they, the sentiment of it is based on that manumission thing. Because it was just, like, everybody is, like, up for the party and it, it, like literally there would be 
there were times where like you'd meet Madonna and then yeah. you'd meet Jean Paul Gaultier, but then you'd meet a builder from Huddersfield or you'd meet this like like and that's it. Everybody got on. Everyone's in the same. Yeah. It wasn't really like as a full on VIP section thing or whatever. Like everyone was just and I was just like it was visually spectacular. I, I remember the, like the lineups being quite mixed up as well. People like Fatboy Slim with DJ in the toilets. It was just like oh, I'm missing the times. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and like the, you know, like I liked the fact that like Claire and that would like fuck on stage, and you you had like things where like Tony Pike would be getting off with Grace Jones at the side yes. of the stage. It was just oh. absolutely insane and happy. And then the space after party was incredible, and I was just like. I feel like everybody takes their shit too seriously now and forgot that it was about a party and about like, like, I mean, I'm a socialist, but just that thing of like, it was an economic leveler if it didn't matter if you were super rich or super poor or whatever, like the club prices were also a lot cheaper than they are now and things. And it's just like, people just felt like anyone could chat to anyone because everyone was just a person and there's and therefore it just it didn't matter where it's like and you didn't have like all people trying to just clamor into the booth it wasn't about that it was like literally you go on the dance floor and dance mm-hmm. and like i was i was really lucky that to catch the tail end of that because i think by the time i was 2021 20, that was kind of dying out you had like some parties like some essential and stuff But why do you think we lost it? Our electronic music scene lost all the spirit from back in the days where where you meet a builder in Cape Moss in the same, you know, that we all were equal. Because your reason why you built He, She, They was, as far as I understood, that you were missing this. this yeah. people A place where people can be people. And actually, it was really right on the time. The timing was maybe a little bit too late, but it's more than we needed, more than ever now and this is so sad but why you think we lost all this spirit in between in the scene because we all called ourselves always so open <laughs> yeah and I, i guess i don't have a great answer for it to be honest because it just became very like white owned and moved away from its kind of original cultures of like like i i found it crazy that people would be in in like clubs and be experiencing racism or homophobia and it's like but that's literally who created dance music and now it's like like you know the things like 10 walls and stuff like that it's like how can that happen in a yeah. in this world even there was a, a funny thing because managing Maya as an artist like I noticed there was a big gap between like all these amazing women from generations from like Kitten, Ellen Allian, Magda, mm-hmm. like um, like yourself, Mistress Barbara, like even like H- Hard House used to be full of like female DJs like Anne Savage, Lisa yeah. Lashes, like, and then you suddenly kind of had like it was like Heidi at some point, and then like and and like Cassie, and then like Maya, and it just mm-hmm. felt like there was this weird. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's there's lots of other women. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that there wasn't, but it's just like, is in in terms of being embraced by club promoters and stuff around the world. It seemed like somehow it became weirder for women to be recognized as DJs yeah. than it had been previously. It's like, how has it gone backwards in all these different yes. 
things because like like there was a one of the first clubs I ever went to was um, F Paradis at Clockwork Orange because mm. it was just a moment of passage. But there was a there's a DJ called Miss Bisto there, and it was like because I kept meeting female DJs, mm. like you know, I mean DJs who were women. I hate the term female DJs because it implies yes. that it's a weird thing that a woman so could do. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I never say, "Oh, I met this male DJ." So no, never. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ever. Um, so it's that that thing of just I never thought it was weird for women to be DJing and a lot of my favourite musicians and artists were so it was just the thing with he she there was like let's try and reclaim that because and I say I don't have a great understanding as to why it became so white and male I guess because promoters started becoming white and male so they book their friends and people book people who are like them so therefore if there's a lot of the decision makers are white and male then yeah than the DJs are. I mean, there's an interesting thing that we try to explain with he, she, they about like, if you go into a club that's typically, there's no such thing as a straight club, but one that's more towards straight people, it's not like a queer club, mm. say. Like, it's normally run by a white guy, maybe the club's owned by a white guy, it's booked by a white guy, and the three DJs are a white guy. And if there's dancers, then it's like women. Everything is done from the male kind of perspective. Yeah. And surprisingly, the dance floor is full of other white men because it's been designed in every part for them. Mm -hmm. Then you go to a gay club and it's normally owned by a white gay guy, booked by a white gay guy with white gay guys DJing and the dancers are boys. <laughs> it's the same concept. It's exactly that. It's just, it's just, it's just moved along to it on a gay route. So it's like, if you're and all the most of the, the people dancing in the gay club are white men so it's like if you're a black gay woman mm -hmm. when you go into either space why would you feel that that is a space for you so like because you look around and don't see anyone who's saying like well this is a sign that you're welcome or that you've got any kind of power or equity in this situation so therefore surprisingly you don't have a lot of people going from those communities to that space. Mm -hmm. So with he, she, they, we explain that, like, if you've got it designed where you've just got a mix of every different type of person from the DJs mm -hmm. to the dancers, like, especially with the dancers, it's, like, different body sizes as well. Like, yeah. like it doesn't, everyone doesn't have to be thin or have a six-pack because it can just be people that are great dancers that live in the moment, like, because I think that helps with body positivity and all these things. So, like, when we design clubs that are like that, where, you know, you can look up and you can see a woman or you can see a gay person, but you can see a straight white man as well and you can see a, a black gay woman as well. And there's somebody mm -hmm. who, who on some level you'll have some kind of affinity or representation of. Mm -hmm. Then the dance floor also gets back to how it was, which is more diverse mm -hmm. because people feel like it's a space for them. And and it's safe. Yeah, I mean, like, the amount of times, it's funny because I go to fetish nights and stuff like Torture Garden and things like that, and, like, people are like, oh, that seems really scary. And I'm like, actually, Torture Garden has more rules on how to behave mm -hmm. and is yeah. therefore safer than, yeah, than going to most clubs because yeah. you don't get guys just grabbing a girl by the ass. Yes. Or, like, like, like I've had 
gone, mate, to do it. And they turn around and like there's five guys staring back. So they don't even know who to say it to because it could be one of five guys that's just harassed them. Or, and you know, also in gay clubs, men are very grabby to other guys. Women can be grabby to women as well. And women can be grabby to men. It's, it's not just in one direction. And it's I in think, all directions. But. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that like it's, it's important to also recognize that thing because sometimes it's only seen as one issue but obviously there's a disproportionate problem with men doing it to women but it's just the environment needs to be safe designed for everyone so so that's the thing like we're sex positive as a club night but it's based on consent so you can't just feel like you can go and touch anyone and like I mean as I say I used to I came from like a sports background so I think like me and my mates and stuff used to go and like slap each like like slap each other as male friends on the ass or do stupid things like that. And it's like, but then that isn't even cool, really. If it's to someone you don't know, even if it's like a straight guy to another straight guy, because even if your intention is supposed to be that it's funny, if it's not received that it was funny, mm. it doesn't matter what your intention was. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that running the club. I've grown up a lot as a as a person and like a lot of times when you start running a club like Ishii there or just anything, once you open your eyes to problems, you can't unsee the problems. Like I can't yes. now look on a lineup and not see it and be like, how the fuck? Like like it, it prides are really bad for it. Like mm. all the male DJs. And then we confront people on it and they're like, well, why why is it a problem? It's like, it's gay pride. It's like, yeah, but it's also lesbian pride. It's also... Yeah, absolutely. And between there. Like, why, why, why is it so heavily male-centric? I mean, we did, we, we, we did one pride thing with people and, um, yeah, they, they talked to us about how we had too many dancers and therefore we were taking spaces capacity-wise away from ticket sellers. And we were like, we've invested our own money to make this work. Who do you want to, me to tell about the dancers that we shouldn't have? Should I say that we're not having the dancers who are, do you know, the white ones, do you know, the black ones, do you know, the ones from the Indian population, the Turkish population? The, do, do we get rid of the, the bigger dancers, the, the disabled dancers? Who do you want me to take away representative? Yeah. Because, like, also we're paying people, which is surely the point of pride as well. It's like, these are people from our community getting paid to do a job. Like, it was such a weird thing that sometimes I find that in in some clubs that aren't particularly, like, say, queer-friendly or whatever, because our thing is more than just queerness, it's about diversity in general, like, in all directions. When we went to Ministry of Fabric, for instance, they actually embraced change more because they were like, we need to change, help us change. Where yeah. sometimes you go to a, some people, they think that they're already the change and don't... Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and are really inflexible. And it's like, that's actually more difficult in some ways to change yeah. than someone who's, who's willing. I mean, Fabric and Ministry and Watergate have been three of the places that I think have really just sat back and listened. Yeah. And, and also, we as promoters, we have to sit back and listen to our audience. So... It's not like and we can you describe your audience? I mean, is there a difference if you compare it to other club nights? I, I mean, 
I think that it's like more diverse than a lot of nights. Like it, you know, it's it's a mix of everything because we deliberately go into venues that were or have been more traditionally straight and masculine and yes. things. Try I had and to learn this when you came to Watergate, for example. <laughs> yeah, people are like, oh, well, why don't you pick that club to do it in, which is really queer and thing. And it's like, but then we're just telling people who are already doing the thing how to do the thing. So not culture just doesn't change that way. Whereas if we do it like like um, in, in Watergate, making Watergate like more queer friendly and more diverse and stuff, that has a bigger impact because mm. not not that it, like like not that I've ever felt in Watergate that they haven't been platforming female DJs because they've they've had a really good track record, mm. but it's just bringing new people into that club and things, and it's just been it's been great. I mean, like you, Yuli's like one of my favorite people in the world. I think mm. that club's done a lot of good things for people, but like Ministry of Sound for maybe a better example, like. Mm us getting like the queer crowd into there or getting like a lot of females that were women of color that like dance music and stuff into those spaces where before the feedback is that they hadn't felt welcome in those spaces. Mm, yeah. Like, so, so you do get a lot of straight white men. It's not like it's just a queer club or anything like that because that's the existing fan base into there. But then also it's just getting, that's what I like with Manny Mission. Manny Mission wasn't, it wasn't more gay. It wasn't more. It was for everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's that and thing. If, if you don't bring all the people together, then you're not yeah. changing the world. I understand this. And, and the thing is, like, we've got that, but then there are other. Because, for instance, we wouldn't class ourselves as like mm -hmm. a safe space. We call ourselves a brave space because you're going to meet people that are different to you and, and have different views. It's really important that you have safe spaces as well. So, like, for instance, you might want to have a club night that is just for gay women of color or just for trans people because you want to be in a group of people because you're a minority in so many spaces in the world. Mm -hmm. You just want to go to somewhere where you're not the minority and, and you know it's safe and you know you're not going to get abuse and all that. And they're really important spaces. We're not in conflict with them or competition. We feel like if you're um, like a, a black gay woman, for instance, you should be able to go to spaces that are just for you, but also there should be other spaces that you can go to as well. That Like yeah. there's no reason that your best friend might not be a straight white man. Mm -hmm. And there should be a space that the two of you can go to that doesn't feel like either one of you isn't comfortable or isn't welcomed in. And there's a space that's designed for both of you, not just one of you. So that's kind of the, the thought process between he, she, them, where we kind of, stand like we t we taken it to places like india and stuff and like like in mumbai and stuff and and, <laughs> and changed it and had it's gonna be interesting but when you started all this i can tell now i can hear i mean this was a really hot-minded idea and a really clear sharp vision what you want to change but on the other hand it's now also quite a big business idea because he she they is immense uh successful we have yeah. to face it you have a wonderful record label like we talked before Uh, the party brand everyone wants to have he she they now because they want to change the club but of course you're gonna decide but was it first of all when you had this idea was there a conflict that it's going to be so much i mean it's now it's, it's a good business also it's a great idea was it a conflict for you personal or 
or you were hoping that it's going to be like this? <laughs> I mean, the, the very first one we did was at Ministry of Sound. So it's like, originally, we were going to be a fashion brand mm -hmm. through cool parties that were really diverse. And like, like the first party we ever did was in London Fashion Week and stuff like that. Because um, also I wanted a bit of a new challenge as well. I mean, like, to be honest, it's quite funny because with He, She, They, we're more than happy for other people to copy us and the whole scene to be changed like that. So, like, almost if we've done our job, we'll be redundant. So we just need to be the best at what we do. Like, because to be honest, we're not, we haven't created in some ways anything new. We've just gone back to what it was. Like, it's not like we suddenly thought, oh, yeah, like, everything should be diverse. It's like we grew up with club nights that were like that and somehow it lost its way. And very lucky because of who we've managed and, and like, we've made people money that these club nights listened to us and said, okay, we'll listen to you. I mean, like, managing, like, going around the world and managing, like, say, Maya, for instance, Maya, who's... um queer and mixed race and stuff and like we'd be in spaces me as a gay guy and my being queer yeah. and stuff and just being like oh we're the only ones like this or feeling like <laughs> there was a lot of times i think maya was everyone's solution to like oh well we've got a female dj yeah yeah and a queer one and mixed race yeah of course and like like and she was like well i want to bring people through i mean like so maya was a was also a strategic in like she played for us a lot, especially at the start. And, like, I, I think everyone's, like, well, same with yourself or Cassie and Ellen and Honey Dijon, uh, Magda and Kitten and Anna and Heidi and Kim and Foxman. It's taken all these people to come together to, to play for us, to, like, make the thing work. And, like, I mean, Dennis Ferrer and that, like, eats everything, mm -hmm. like, Lots of people give up their time. I think we're going to do something with Patrick Toppin down the line. Like, and these were people as well that like wanted to get on board before it was like a cool thing to get on board. Like Patrick, for instance, has wanted to do something, but literally scheduling's just always not quite worked. So it's not like Patrick's just like, oh, I'm this big guy, and I think it would be cool for me to do something for the gay people. It's like, like a lot of those guys as well feel hemmed in that they're they're down an alley where, where they didn't want to just be playing to other straight white guys. They want to yeah. be playing for everyone and be on of mixed course. lineups and stuff. So it's like for everybody, I think it's, it's given them a, a good shake. And, you know, there's some people in the industry that reluctant to change, but that's fine. Like, yeah, that's it, but, but when we started, it was just like, let's try and fix the problem that we see and, Everything that I start, I always hope that it will go global and work. And it worked, everything. Yeah, <laughs> Just a big compliment. But besides of all this business point, sorry that I interrupt you, but I mean, you have a huge community, a big network. Do you know how many people joining the network? Or I mean... Besides of details, you can be like, you want to have the newsletter. And I have, for me, it seems like that it was giving also some people hope because some people were really lost. We're struggling with personal problems, with sexual abuse, with coming out, with whatever, being in a club scene. So even do you feel this, get the people through you? Do you know about people that are writing you? Because I, it must be massive in my just feeling. Well, yeah, it's cool because like, we run the social media ourselves mm -hmm. as well. 
which I really like because it gives us a, a direct feedback. Like I know a lot of people use different companies, but like, like I kind of like, you know, if, if I'm interested in something and I feel like it's going to resonate with our audience, like I'll post about it. So it's not just techno and house music. It's like, like it was Betty White from the golden girls, yeah. 99th birthday. And we posted that. And probably a lot of other brands would have been like, why would you post that? But you know, not like eight, we got eight, 800 likes from it because our audience is more than just one thing. And it's like, yeah. I think when you just start being human to human and not just like, what is it? like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, but it needs to be this really narrow thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, the marketing plan has to be, you have to post it now at this time. And yeah, you know, fuck it. like sometimes we don't post that days and I, yeah. If I'm feeling manic, we'll post four times in a day. It's about like we post about DJs that are upcoming, DJs that as well, like I think there's an ageism as well within dance music, like making sure that we bring back people that are iconic, that that never so stop being good at, at making music. It just, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like male pro- promoters do that a lot with women at the moment. It's like, Oh well, who's the next one? It's like this space for everyone. Yeah. No, no one's telling the 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 kind of iconic um, next superstar DJ. <laughs> yeah, just making sure that everyone gets kind of their their rights. So, so we post about them, but we'll post about Elvira and post mm-hmm. about these like yeah. Yeah. Cool, iconic people. We post about um, uh, what you call him? Ah, why can't it, why can't Eva and Adele? Ah, okay, yeah. Like there was amazing pe- like performance artists that have lived like twenty odd years as in their creation because it's just interesting and like that's the thing with the luxury of having a a fashion brand and a and a record label and this and you know it might be a lot of other things as well but like I'd love it to be a magazine one day as well like mm-hmm. so you still have plans to grow yeah what your goal already are you near are you close to this when you first had the idea I mean. There's a lot of work still to do. We both know. <laughs> yeah, do, do, do you know what? It's been. It's just something that brings me joy. So I just think it'll happen. <laughs> it'll happen organically, and it's just like, as I say, it's just it's been nice to talk about like things like transphobia and like give yeah. trans people a platform and give black people a platform to to tell their own stories and not yeah. just like. Sorry to interrupt you, but are yeah. you involved sometimes in these personal stories? Are they touching you? Do you need, do you have, I mean, you told me you have contact with your audience. And oh, I can imagine there must be a lot of stories about people telling you oh, what happened to them or. To- totally. And I, I, I mean, like just, there's been people that have come out because of the club and there's people that like, like I've actually become more comfortable with being queer as a, as a, myself through the club than I had, than I was before. So even on a selfish personal journey, like being surrounded by different people that are interesting and weird and proud of their queerness. And like, there's a lot of times as a queer guy, I'd look in magazines and go, but I'm not a bear and I'm not a twink. Like I'm, I'm not a super pretty skinny guy with a six pack. I'm not a really big guy who's hairy. I, I don't fit into the natural kind of groups of queer culture. And like as a bisexual guy, I didn't fit in comfortably. And it's like, so finding this community where, you know, I was, I was always more about the music first than my sexuality. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's that those group of people that are goth and alternative 
and it's like I feel like embraced and seen. And if someone messages us to say that they want something covered or, mm-hmm. or like they have an interesting idea, then we'll platform stuff and yeah. like. So it's it's just nice seeing different people's evolution and, and like you know we're trying to form a community, and mm-hmm. it's not that that community everyone always agrees on everything the whole time. You have you have like little chasms open up within it and stuff where people have different views, but that's okay to discuss and debate and stuff. Like mm-hmm. as long as it's not hate, that's the only thing that we shut down. Like like it should be a place of understanding and and like. Like I'll never quite understand what it is to be trans because yeah. I was born a boy in a boy's body and I'm comfortable being that. But mm-hmm. I can understand and take myself out of my own situation to try and learn about what it is for other people where that's different and find out the struggles that exist for them. Like, I mean, as I say through Hishi there, I've learned a lot more about um, the struggles that is being a woman and like the the recent me too thing like has made me realize like just the amount of different problems there are for women and how it gets brushed under the carpet and how how probably like you say things that like 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 you don't realize as a a man like add to the patriarchal thing or like like on race i've had to learn again like i used to be growing up one of those people um, I'm like I'm 39 now. I used to be like you know um, I can't I don't see color and all those things because I used to get taught by my by media family all that but that was the thing that you said to show that you that you don't see color everyone's equal. Well, actually yeah. now I've learning. Well, actually that's not helpful because what you're saying is that everyone's equal. It's the same as almost saying all lives matter. Like I don't see yeah. color. That, that therefore your struggle isn't greater than my struggle and things like that. And it's like, I've had to, to learn about, we make a lot of mistakes as well. And people correct us and we learn from those mistakes. Yeah. I think we live in a, in a, a world where we're very scared. Of- but it's so good that the discussion is open, that we are able to learn this because we, we, we didn't know it better before. <laughs> well, this is it. And like cancel culture, everyone, there's a lot of people that don't change anything or try to change because they're so scared of being cancelled. Where actually, to be honest, most people aren't trying to cancel you unless you've said something hateful. If you've just got something a bit wrong, then, like, people will go and correct you and and say, like, you know, have you thought this through? As long as I think if you're open to learning and open to, you know, when you're wrong, say that you're wrong, Learn from yeah. it, change your behavior. And do it better. Nobody, nobody wants to. I mean, there's a difference between saying, like, I hate gay people and I want them to die. Like, yeah, you're going to get cancelled for that, and, like, rightly so. But if you're just like, oh, I've used the wrong pronoun for someone and, yeah. and something like that, because that's a world that a lot of people are still learning and coming to grips with, then I think most people, as long as you, like, like for instance, if, if someone was non-binary, and I lazily hadn't asked or whatever, and I'd say she or he or something like that. And they say, yes. do you know what? My pronoun is they, actually. Now, as long as I say, oh, sorry, in the future, I'll, I'll use they and them pronouns for you. Now, if I kept saying she or, or he after they'd correct me, then I'm a dick. Because, like, you know. But then you didn't learn. 
Yeah, if I said, oh, hi, Claire, and you went, oh, no, my name's Anya, and I went, okay, no worries, Claire, and just kept yeah. calling you Claire forever, you'd just be like, you're a complete dickhead. Like, Absolutely. you know my name is Anya. Like, it, and it works in exactly the same way. Like, why would you call someone by the wrong name? Yeah. Just, just like, also, it doesn't affect you. Like, if someone wants to be called there, then call them there. Like, it doesn't change your... Absolutely. It's not making your... Yeah. yeah, but you might, it might make someone else's life a lot harder if you don't. So it's like... Why you should? Yeah, I find it, find it weird. So, sorry, I need to ask this. But maybe this makes you more uh, specialized and more really good in this job. Because I read you were, uh, you are an occupational psychologist. I am. I am. You uh, are. So this makes, I think it's a big advantage, especially as a manager, maybe to handle, come on, it helped. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't, like, because I think in my case, I'll speak for me, I won't speak for everyone else. Yeah. But like, as a psychologist, you normally go into psychology because like, you're a bit crazy yourself and you like yes, want answers. So like, I think that me being a little bit, different to normal kind of helps like i manage tricky and people like that like yes definitely helped to be strange like because he's gifted but he is he is all kinds of strange which i would quite most artists they're gifted that like this huh? <laughs> yeah right so i mean it's a funny one because like i went to to therapy at one point because i was just feeling really anxious with music this is a few years back and it was funny as a As a psychologist, you think, like, oh, you know, I understand everything about me because I'm good with people and whatever. Then you realize all the psychological walls that you put up yourself and you don't see. Yeah. So sometimes it can help. And sometimes there's a danger of thinking that you already know it so you can't help. I think the biggest thing has had to be the listening and letting go of my ego has been mm -hmm. the most important thing because, like, I've, I've had it, like, Yeah, where sometimes I think my ego had got in front of me or not wanting to be wrong. So then I'll try and argue my way around for it to be right, whereas actually I was just wrong and I needed to just say that I was wrong, learn from it. I think that's more than the psychology or anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, like it's hard because now I can't even remember the time I was a psychologist, but <laughs> I was just admiring. I listened so to like suicide hotlines and stuff like, Oh, really? Like, yeah, before I was a psychologist. So I've always been interested in that. In this in this dark moments. There was elements of my childhood that mm -hmm. non-musically were a bit crazy. So I think mm -hmm. that, like, all these things, I, I think, have helped me, like, be able to survive around people that are, are different or have had crazy things happen to them because nine times out of ten, my craziest things have happened to me are... <laughs> crazier than what have happened to someone else's crazy thing so i think sometimes that helps when you're like 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 not not many things phase me about people and i've like I yeah. think traveling around the world helped i think being at manumission and meeting all different types of people i think my life is a series of collective things where especially as i say when i've been wrong have been the things that have made me grow and learn and develop as a person The psychology thing helps, but like, I also think that everybody is a psychologist mm. at, at heart. But this like, could be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you no, have to be in some point. Yeah, you are, I mean, you have to be trained in some ways to give like proper qualified <laughs> advice. But like, even with psychology, the the theories change a lot and stuff. And that, like, 
I remember every essay I always used to write, it'd be like, it's a bit of biological determination and it's a bit of how you grow up and it's a bit of learning theory and it's a bit of Jungian theory and it's a bit of Freud. <laughs> and basically, you always used to come at the end of the essay or whatever and be like, it's a combination of everything. Because yeah. everyone, is, it's almost like psychology yeah. is like, like you have tech house, you have deep house, and you have this, and you have all these yes. uh, This is the only way to make dance music. Where actually, it's like, I've, same with all my favorite DJs, like yourself. You you blend stuff from all yeah. these different things, and it's, I mean, like that's why I've always liked you as a DJ, is because my, my perception of you anyway is that you kind of almost like making a DJ set to you is like a journey or like a pain, and so. Why would you only paint a painting with purple when you've got red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and you wow. make a painting that way? And you take people on a journey. It's it's like you're one of my favorite DJs as well because oh. same thing. If like, but we notice it, you become hypercritical. Like like being because I was on the road with Maya for like four or five years, like nonstop. Mm. When like Maya is literally a masterclass of a DJ. And when you, you get used to that being almost like, I, I've seen her DJ so many times on it. Oh, yeah, everyone can DJ like that. And then you go to other people and you're like, and then oh, God. You're, no, no. <laughs> I know. Like, she makes these impossible leaps yeah. between songs. Absolutely. And, it, and, it, and it's an emotional. It's my favorite. I mean, I mean, yeah, like you can tell the music she produces. So it's like, I've always been drawn to that. And it's, it's the same reason in a club. Why would you not have? With Ishi and stuff, why would you not have all these different colours to paint your picture with? Like, why would it only be one thing? Like, doing it ministry or Watergate, because it's multiple rooms, mm-hmm. means you can have more different types of music and DJs playing. Like, the label as well, like, mm-hmm. it's got Louisa, who's made the first album that's going to come out, is like... It's amazing, by the way. I'm super big fan, even if it's completely different to my music, but I... But yes. I love this you know attitude. I, mean? I love it. And it's so refreshing. It's a little bit punk attitude. I love it. Well, that's it. It's like industrial music. It's techno. It's like... It has everything. This is super. When someone is mixing everything. Like you said, where you're standing there for he, she, they. Yes. Stephen, we already talked by about an hour. Sorry. I have to cut it. <laughs> I love it. It was amazing. The label goes from everything from that to like to house music. And we'll go on everything else. So it's like... The label as well. If anyone's listening and wants to send us in anything, we can li- we'll listen to anything. But yeah, sorry. Now, now I'm going to show everyone up. has to get to Hishi Day. I, I would love to to ask you what your plans are, but it's so stupid to talk about plans, especially in this moment. Okay. Huh? Yeah, exactly. So I hope you stay healthy and you keep up the good vibe, keep up your amazing uh, ideas, and I hope that Hishi Day make us all. A to better persons and to people we are and get together with everyone. <laughs> well, th- thank you very much. Thank you for today. And thank you just for the support about the music and everything that we do and, and, and playing for us. And yeah, <laughs> like it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't work without all our audience, all our hosts, all the club owners that want to change stuff, all the DJs that want to play for us, because it's not like we're some rich club that makes everyone millions of pounds. We pay everyone fairly, but like, Yes, because we've got so many, so many hosts, so many dancers, so many DJs. This is great. It, but it's it's hard to make a profit. It, it's much easier to make a profit when there's no dancers <laughs> and what. So, thank you for being a part of it because it's it literally. I'm not just saying this, but it really is like a a community effort to make it work. So thank you very much, Anya. 
Thank you for being our guest. I, I miss you so much, and I hope to dance with you one time really soon. We'll, and we'll make wherever as well. If I ever be allowed to to travel to the UK, <laughs> or you can oh, still out. Please say we are. <laughs> I, I think we need to go back to Berlin. So yeah. Okay. So thank you. Cheers. All right. Bye. Clubroom Backstage Produced at Blackout Studios